Hey, Prime families, this is Coach Frank Alaco Jr. Back with Prime Radio. Thought it'd be a good chance with the beginning of the year happening and some tournaments starting up just to reach out to everybody with a quick podcast about our philosophy on games and the way we view tournaments and our breakup of teams and all that. Because I know uh, new, newer families in our program probably have questions in that area. And although we email about it and, and you know put it in writing, it, it's good to say it and be able to have everybody hear it. Uh, hopefully in this medium, it'll help. So I just wanted to kind of talk about our overall philosophy regarding games and tournaments. In the past couple of years, I've had parents come to me and sometimes they'll say, well, we know you don't care about the games, but so-and-so. And I always try to correct people pretty quickly and say, you know, that's actually not true. We, we do care about the games. The games are a very important part of our program. If they weren't, we wouldn't have games. Um, I believe one of the more unique parts of our program is the games and how we approach the games and our style of coaching and the accountability that comes forth in games. So we think the games are extremely important. Uh, they're a great chance to work on, you know, playing hard, communicating, being in a stance at all times on defense, little things like taking away strong hands. Some of these things we really, you know, boxing out on rebounds, things that we've become kind of known and pretty reputable for doing a good job of teaching kids to do by the time they get to high school. And a lot of those things, as much as we want to drill it in practice, it's very difficult to do it without a game situation. I think where some confusion comes in is our philosophy of not measuring the success of our players and our teams just by how we do at a tournament. I think with a lot of other programs and, and sort of the experience parents have before they come to Prime is that, hey, we're winning some games or we're not winning a lot of games. So that's how we're going to measure our experience. We must not be doing a good job as a team or as players or as coaches because we're losing more games than we win. Or, hey, we're undefeated. We've won three championships in a row. Well, we're doing a great job. And we just don't share that philosophy at these at, at the youth level. You know, there's there's a lot of things teams can do at the youth level to really help them win games. And our philosophy is not to do some of those things because we don't want to sacrifice the long-term improvement of our players. Things like the style of defense we play, you know, and the style of offense, the way we practice, and a lot of things I'm going to get to on this podcast and try to explain why we do it the way we do it. But the bottom line is we don't spend a lot of time with our players preparing them to win games because in a lot of those cases, it just wouldn't help them eight years from now or five years from now or two years from now when they're in high school. So I think that all starts with even how we break up our teams. We don't have A teams and B teams and C teams. Uh, we do weight our teams. So if you look at our gold teams, they're typically going to be the best teams at their grade level. That is not to say if you ranked the top 10 players at each grade level, they're not on the gold team, not all of them. We don't do it that way. You know, we, we, we like to mix our players up and we like to put players in environments where we think they're going to succeed and improve and get the most opportunities to be successful and learn. So we've always thought that if we put our top 10 players all on one team, well, numbers eight through 10 aren't gonna get the same opportunities 
that some kids on another team might get. Uh, we're pretty fortunate because we have a lot of kids in our program and we're pretty competitive. We have a lot of good, strong players at each grade level. We're getting to the point now where we have, you know, 30 plus kids at each grade level who probably are going to be really good high school players, if not more, you know? So I think, I think that's, I think that's a great thing because now we have a lot of competitive teams. So whatever atmosphere we put or whatever environment I should say, we put players in, they're going to be in a competitive situation. So rather than put our top 10 players on one team and then our next 10 on the next team, and, and that is the way most programs probably do it, but we don't think that benefits the players. So the way we break up our teams is, is that we look at each individual player and we say, Hey, okay, this, this kid, David is a, is a really good standstill shooter. He's really good at standing in the corner and making threes when people pass on the ball. And yeah, he could be on our gold team with this other kid. Who's a really good point guard who will probably get shots for him, but let's put him on this team where he's actually going to handle the ball more and have to challenge himself to do more things that are going to make him better. Um, now, that's not going to make our team better because that's not his strength right now. It's not going to make him play well right now either. But over the next two or three years, he's going to learn to handle the ball and be a more dynamic player besides a kid who just stands in the corner and shoots. So we break up our teams in that manner. So, you know, a, a couple parents have asked, what's what's the red team compared to the white team compared to the gold team? And why why is my son on the silver team? And the answer to those questions are they're just different environments for your player to improve in. They're all playing similar levels at tournaments. Um, so to us, it's about, hey, let's put the player where he's going to get the most opportunities to improve. And so now, again, that philosophy in itself does not lend to winning games off, you know, as, as much as possible. If we were trying to win every tournament, well, yeah, we would... We would put our best players all on one team and they would play division one and then the next team would have the next 10 and they'd play division two and then we'd send everybody else to division three and division four. And we don't do that. We kind of have, you know, most of our teams play at the similarly similar levels at tournaments. And so for us, it's, it's, we're not too frantic about making A and B teams. It's about putting players where they're best suited to improve. Uh, you know, along with the team breakup comes just our style of play in games. For example, defensively, we're never going to play zone, you know, ever. We, we, we're not going to run around and trap a bunch. We're really going to make our players play straight, full-court, man-to-man defense. And by the time they get to high school, they're going to be very good man defenders. And that's important because if you watch good high school basketball, and if you watch college and NBA basketball, basketball is a man-to-man game at the highest levels. You know, in the NBA, you can't really even play traditional zone. You can kind of play it, but there's a lot of rules they have, defensive three in the key, and other rules they have to make you not really able to play zone. So they, you know, the college as well. I can only think of a few colleges, Syracuse being one of them, where they play zone, you know, more often than not. Most college teams are going to play man-to-man. So and I know in my experience as a high school coach, I coached at De La Salle High School for about 12 years, and we had a great run there. But it was amazing how many eighth graders came into our high school as freshmen and just had no clue how to play defense. And in some cases, they were really good youth players. I knew them because they came to camps I was working at or I saw them at, you know, I had our ASA program at that time. I think Prime had just started too. 
And, um, you know, I coached against or co- coached against some of those kids. And it's like they were great players. And then they got to high school and their development was stunted. It took them a year or two to catch up to everybody else defensively. And it really affected their playing time and their progress in our program. And so I've always made it a, you know, an, a, a vow to myself that I'm never going to teach a third grader, a fourth grader, a fifth grader how to play zone defense. You know, you're doing the players a disservice. Now, if I was trying to win a game, of course, the best way to win would be to take my third grade team and put them in a 2-3 zone and say, hey, you're bigger than everybody, so you stand in the middle of the key and don't move. You just get the rebounds and block shots. And, you know, you're a guard, so you go out here. And, yeah, we would be much more successful and we'd win games and everybody, everybody would stay happy. But then five years from now, the lack of fundamentals uh, and the lack of a foundation defensively would, show, would showcase itself like it did for those players that came to my high school. And a lot of players who go to play college basketball, the same thing. Players, you know, college coaches say all the time, their players are not really ready for that level skill-wise, including defensive, defensively. So, you know, right there, our whole defensive system is kind of the hardest system you could possibly have to win a game as a youth team. So we're doing that to make them better for, for the future. You know, I, I would say the same thing about our offense in that we don't run set plays. We don't go to practice and work on set plays that we're going to execute in games and get layups or get wide open shots because of our great execution. Now, we want to be able to execute an offense, but it's not some set system where, hey, you're a point guard, so you go here. You're a shooting guard, so you go there. In fact, we don't even have positions in our program. We don't have fives and threes and ones. We don't have that. We have basketball players. So we want all of our players to learn how to pass and cut and dribble and get to the rim on a one-on-one situation, shoot from the outside in the perimeter, handle the ball on the perimeter, post up. Even our guards, we want everybody to post up. And again, that sounds good when you hear it and, and everybody smiles and nods their head. But what people also have to understand is, well, to play that way, you're also going to struggle in games, especially early in the season. You know, it's not like we, you know, we've been working at practice on a couple set plays, so our players know where to go every time. And so offensively, it's just a lot more challenging for our players in games because they're, they're trying to make decisions based on reading the defense, reading their teammates, and that's really hard for a younger player to do. And um, we're not going to, you know, on, on top of that is we're, we're not going to spend a ton of practice time on those things. You know, our practices are, are heavily dedicated towards individual improvement, um, habits and, and fundamentals and skill work. And we'll do a lot of man-to-man defense as well to teach the, the fundamentals of that, particularly early. But, you know, we're not going to practice and saying, oh, we have a, we have a tournament this weekend. Let's, let's work on our, our trap. You know, and I know in our eighth grade, we have a very good, our eighth grade gold team's a very good team that's played with me for a few years. And, and there's a program they play against a lot that's, they have a good team and they have a very, you know, I think they have a pretty good coach. But one thing I don't like about that team is every time they come play us, you can tell they've game planned. They've taken the past two or three weeks of their practice and they've worked on a new zone. And yeah, it, it, it confuses our eighth graders at times. And, and yeah, it's a challenge to our guys. But I always think after those games, how much of their practice time in the past month have they dedicated to running a trick defense to beat us? 
or to lose to us by two, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it's, I kind of, kind of saddens me and that they've probably spent a lot of time, you know, which they could have spent on skill development, you know, learning how to play motion offense and read each other, uh, you know, or, or to play man-to-man defense. And the reality is, is, you know, back to the offensive side of the ball is like any offense I teach our players, any set play, any baseline out of bounds play we run is probably not going to be used by our players when they get to high school. So our philosophy is why are we going to spend 20 minutes of our practice working on a baseline out of bounds play that might result in us scoring three or four baskets a game? Why are we going to spend time focusing on that when if they go to Northgate, San Ramon, Monta Vista, De La Salle, they're never going to run that play again. And that play didn't help their skills get better. It didn't help their basketball IQ. It was simply going to our practice and us telling them exactly where to go. And it just doesn't make those players better. So that's kind of an overall theory of, of sort of, you know, our philosophy regarding games, regarding our preparation for games as a program. And we're just really trying to focus on the long-term improvement of our players. So I think everyone needs to remember that, you know, and I, and I think that sounds good to everybody. I know I always say that at our parent meeting during tryouts and everybody smiles and nods and I always kind of stop and I say, now everybody's nodding right now, but wait till our second or third tournament, you know, if you have a tough experience and you, and you don't win as many games. And it is true, you know, you get to that time of the year and parents start getting nervous, you know, well, wait, we're two and six, but the white team is seven and one. So they must be having a better experience than us. And I think the challenge, you know, all of us have, the, the, the challenge the coaches have is to make sure the players understand all of this. And we're constantly trying to educate the players on our philosophy and how these games are important to your development, but the wins and losses don't mean too much. To sort of conclude what we were talking about, I always go back to my youth career. I think I had, I think I was blessed to obviously have a coach that I had. My father coached me throughout my youth and high school career. And once I left and played college basketball, he moved on and pretty much became a nationally known coach. He won national coach of the year as a high school coach. He coached in the McDonald's All-American game. This is a true coach. I mean, this is a Hall of Fame level high school coach. And he was my coach in third grade, fourth grade, and, and on. And and I, I know back in those days, all I did was play CYO until, until high school. I didn't play AAU. And there was teams all over us constantly trying to get us to come play for them. Come play this tournament with us, you know, the, the Oakland Soldiers back then. And and um, when I got to high school, I did, I did play a few tournaments with them. But as a youth player, we, we, never, we never made that jump. I never went and played for those teams. And I know my father's philosophy was, hey, I, I want the ball in your hands. I want the pressure on you. You know, the team we had constructed at, at St. Agnes where I played was, I don't know that we had, we had maybe one player on our team who went on to play serious varsity basketball in high school. Everybody else didn't play at that level. So I was surrounded by guys who weren't really elite varsity basketball players. And I don't, ever look back on that experience and say, wow, how much better would I have been in college had I had better teammates in the seventh and sixth grade? I've never felt that way. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I've always looked back and said, 
I was blessed. Thank, thank goodness I had such a great coach who prepared me to be better when I was older. And also to have all that pressure on me and the, you know, I had to lead at games. I had to talk to my teammates. I had to, to be a guy that had the ball in his hands a lot and make decisions in pivotal moments of games. Um, you know, it was, it was a great experience for me. And I, and, and I think that's something all of our kids could learn as they go through this experience is that it's, it's not who's around you. It's, it's, are you learning to control what you can control? So many times we have players come to us and they're, they're, you know, I shouldn't say so many times because we don't get a lot of feedback about this type of stuff, but there are times a player will come to me and they're, or their parents are frustrated about, you know, a recent tournament where they lost every game or, or something like that. And, and then, you know, I, I talk to the player's coach or, or maybe I coach the game myself and it typically comes back to, well, wait a second, you're worried about some things that you can't control. And our evaluation of your performance that weekend was you didn't talk at all. So you didn't talk. You didn't take away right hand on defense, which is something we focus on nonstop. We just want you to take away right hand. You didn't, you didn't box out. You know, we, we could list off a number of things that that player, for example, didn't do that weekend. Yet here we are three days later and our focus is on we lost the games. And so we try to get our players to, to understand that that's just not important. It's not, it's not the important part of what we do. It doesn't, it, it, it's not the measure of success that your team lost those games. What we'd like to see is, oh, okay, we lost a few games, but boy, did you talk. I had the referee come over to me and say, who is that kid? He talks. And that happens sometimes, by the way. You know? and, and if that happens, you had a great weekend. It's not about the wins or the losses. So... Kind of just encouraging everybody to understand that philosophy and and try to live by it through your time in our program. And I think you'll enjoy the experience very much. And more importantly, you'll see your kid, if the player can buy into it as well, that player's going to really improve dramatically in this program. So I think let's keep the conversation geared towards control what you can control. Stand out with how much you talk how much you communicate. When the referee blows the whistle and reports a foul, typically all 10 players on the court either put their hands on their knees or they walk around or they rest. When to us, if you're a player who really cares a lot about winning and wants to compete and wants to improve, you're going to take that 30 seconds that the referee reports the foul and you're going to talk to your teammates. Hey, I got number 10. Who do you have? Are we all matched up, guys? You know, there's so many things you can talk about. You know, Vince has a mismatch. Let's post him up. You know, we could talk about so many different things on the court with our teammates. We always say we want our players to be Tom Brady. We want our players, they're quarterbacks. If you play basketball, you're a quarterback. Every player on the team has to be at that level where they're fully immersed in the game and they're communicating. And that's something you can control. Obviously, playing hard, being someone who dives on the floor for loose balls, who sprints back on defense, who cuts hard on offense, who just does all of the little things super hard. And to us, if you're able to do those things, if you're able to truly control what you can control, you will stand out. We had a player about four or five years ago named JT Estes. And a lot of our kids know JT because he's now kind of coaching with us until he goes off to, to play college basketball at some point. 
And I'll never forget one of JT's last tournaments in eighth grade. We went to Las Vegas at the end of July and JT's team played four games and they might've gone two and two or maybe even one and three. You know, they played some really good competition. They battled, they were great games, but we certainly didn't win the championship or anything like that. But what I'll always remember about that tournament is all eight referees who refed our games, we had two referees per game, literally all eight referees came up to me after their games that they refed our team. And they, they said, who is that kid? Who is number 14? Is that your son? Is that, yeah, who is that guy? I've never seen a kid care like that kid cares. The way he talks to his teammates, every situation, the way he you know, boxes out and sprints and just plays so much harder than anybody we've seen at this tournament. But of course, the communication as well. He's just, we've never seen a kid at this level, you know, talk like that. He's, he sounds like a professional. If you watch an NBA game, that's all those guys are talking relentlessly. And that's how JT was. And I've always felt like he truly embodied what a prime player should be in that he stood out. Someone left the game talking about all of those little things that he did that really require no talent. They don't even require basketball skill. It's just him as a person trying to control what he can control and be the best he can be. So my message to everybody would be to, not, not that we've had any problem with this at all, but as the season goes, continue to understand that, you know, that, that all these guys are young. They have great careers ahead of them if they put the time in on their own and use the games for what they should be a chance to work on all those things I've talked about throughout the podcast and make sure the parents stay grounded and really understand whether your team's winning a lot of games. It shouldn't put us, you know, we do have some teams that haven't lost yet or, or even if they have lost, they've played at the best tournament so far and, and really made a name for themselves. Well, that doesn't mean that your player is going to be some great high school or college player. It's, it's not about that. So we all need to continue to focus on the right things and work together to make sure our players understand what our philosophy is regarding the game experience, how we make our teams, and our style of play. So I hope this podcast sort of reminds everybody who's been in our program and for sure a lot of the newer families can get a better understanding of, of hey, why are there different teams? And why are there four teams at my grade level? And what's the difference between the teams? Or why are we playing in this tournament? And, and why is that team undefeated and we're two and four? Or, you know, whatever possible questions there could be like that. Why, why on my son's CYO team is he the point guard, but here he doesn't bring the ball up the court every time? All those types of questions. And I'm hoping this podcast sort of, sort of educates everybody just a little further on our program and our philosophy and why it's worked really well for us over the years. Thank you for listening.